Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. We're glad you are here. And I also believe the Carter Blood Bank folks will be here at the conclusion of the service for many of you who are planning on giving blood. Uh, it's a wonderful thing about coming to church. We ask you to worship, we ask you to give, and now we take your blood, huh? <laughs> you gotta love church, but I'm glad you guys are here. I was in one that actually did a little bit of that, uh, metaphorically speaking, but anyway. I'm glad you guys are here. We're closing out the series Rescue today. And in this series, we've been talking about the fact that in life from time to time, you and I are gonna find ourselves in a place where we just need rescue. And sometimes God will supernaturally, supernaturally bring about a rescue. I talked about that last week with the parting of the Red Sea. I've seen God do incredible things. I, I've known of him to do miraculous things. And as I've, I've told you before, the miracle is never a word God uses to ever describe anything he's ever done. And the reason he doesn't use the word is God cannot surprise himself. Miracle is not God's word, it's our word. When something happens and God moves in a way that we just simply can't explain it, we say, wow, that was, just a, that was a miracle. So it's our word to use to describe the things that God does that's well beyond our scope of comprehension. And I promise you, if I surveyed the room or if we asked those online to respond, we would hear some truly miraculous things that have happened in your life, some ways in which God has just intervened in an incredible way and brought about a rescue. So sometimes he does it that way. Sometimes God uses other people. God brings people in your life and God will use other people sometimes to reach down and grab your hand and pull you out and pull you up. And God sometimes does that. And sometimes, as we're gonna talk about this morning, God gives us the ability to rescue ourselves. <laughs> sometimes God just empowers us and enables us and equips us to get ourselves out of the things that we find ourselves in. Sometimes there aren't other people around. And, and sometimes God just sovereignly decides that he's going to enable us to bring ourselves out of the places that we sometimes find ourselves in. You remember Lazarus who was in the tomb for that period of time and God supernaturally calls Lazarus out of the grave. Well, the first thing, God supernaturally calls him out. The second thing is Lazarus had to agree to go. He could have heard the voice of God and stayed in the tomb. Now, why under God's name would you do that? But I see people sometimes that almost choose to live a life of misery when there is a better way. And God is calling all of us from darkness into life. And sometimes people refuse that and they just kind of choose to stay in the tomb. It amazes me. Yet Lazarus decided to respond to the supernatural power of God at work in his life and he walked out of the grave. Then the third aspect of that, the supernatural, the willful, and then you see the cooperative effort of the rescue where God says, Jesus said to the people around him, get those grave clothes off of him. Loose him and let him go. So you see the importance of other people in your life. Sometimes you can't get the grave clothes of your past off of you and you need, you need somebody to help you. You can't quite get past where you've been and so you need somebody to help you. And so the story of Lazarus is a beautiful story of a rescue that involves supernatural, willful, and cooperative. But this morning I wanna to talk to you 
And I think it's interesting that we're going to be talking to you about a soldier, a military officer, one of David's mighty, valiant warriors, and how God equipped this man, he enabled this man, and empowered this man to rescue himself. And how you see some qualities of this man's life that if they are evident in our lives, then God can use us in a similar way to get out of the things sometimes we find ourselves in. And so for a little while this morning, I just wanna talk to you about how God can use adverse situations, God can use the adversity of our life to advance us. Some of you are making more money now because you've gone through the pain to get to that point where you can make more money. Some of you have more responsibility in your life than you've ever had before. It's because you're willing to pay the price to have more responsibility so on one hand, there's a benefit, but on the other hand, there's a burden. And life's made up of that sort of thing. And so I'm just suggesting to you, God often uses the adversity of our life to advance us. You really don't know, and you've heard me say, you really don't know how strong your faith is until it's tested. So God will send you and I through a series of tests in life, and those tests will, will stretch us, and those tests will strengthen us. You know, in school, when a teacher gives a test, the test is given to try to determine where the class is. The teacher knows that I don't need to teach new material if they're not learning what I've already taught them. So the point of the test is to let the teacher kind of know where the kids are. And by the way, the point of the test is to let the kids know where the kids are. You don't really know where you are till you take the test, and then you go, oh my, I don't know if I'm ready for fourth grade. This third grade stuff's getting me down. But God will sovereignly send tests into our lives. Now, different from the teacher, God being sovereign, he already knows. So God already knows. So what then is the point of the test? The point is not to inform God, because he already knows everything. He's omniscient. He can't learn anything. He knows everything. <laughs> so it's not to inform him, it's to inform us. Because I don't know what I need to do if I don't understand where I am. If I'm lost, the first thing I need to know on the map is where, I, where am I right now? I can't see to get to where I'm going if I don't know where I am. So these things God sends into our life to reveal the weakness of our faith and sometimes, hey, the strength of our faith. One other little thing. Everything you and I go through in life will prepare us for what we're about to go through in life. I mean, you have a bad breakup, it'll prepare you for the next relationship. You go through an experience in life that's hard, well, it's going to prepare you for the next experience of life. Everything you do in life is a series of tests, it's a series of steps to move you progressively on the way to where God would have you to go. Life is just a series of experiences where we learn from those experiences, hopefully, and it better equips us for the next experience that we engage in life. I talked about the kids taking tests. Do you, you remember a particular test you took in school that was hard, or a particular grade that you struggled with? For me, it was about seventh grade. That was about, that. I remember math was hard in seventh grade. I remember, you know, science was hard in seventh grade. I was just having trouble connecting the dots. And what was interesting about it, I remember after, I, I did, you did get through seventh grade, but, but after I got, through that, and my kids kind of hit that zone, it was interesting because I, I would, from time to time, kind of look at what they were dealing with in seventh grade, and I would think, that's pretty simple. That's not that hard. 
But when I was in seventh grade, it was, it was almost insurmountable. I just didn't know how I was gonna get through that. I didn't know how I could learn that, connect those dots and then make all that work. But my point is, when I was a, a student over here, I was struggling, and once I got through that, that season of life to become a teacher over here, I could look back at the things I struggled with, and now I realized that I'd grown. And that's a lot of life. A lot of life is we struggle over here with some of the stresses and pressures of life, but if you'll just continue and follow the paces and you just keep taking the steps and you keep learning through the experiences, eventually you'll look back on the work that you nearly stumbled over and where you were a student there, you'll be a teacher over here. And so I'm just suggesting you that God will use all of these events in life to prepare us for life at the very next level. Uh, one more thing before I finish the last thing that I said was the last thing before I get into this thing. And that is everybody's battling something. Everybody's going through something. I mean, I, I found that to be true. You, everybody in the room and everybody watching me online, we're, we're all going through some type of adversity. It may be a personal adversity. Some of you may be dealing with some personal issues in your life, maybe something emotionally that's happening to you, something physical that's going on, maybe a spiritual struggle that kind of brought you to church or caused you to tune in. S some people are going through that, some, sometimes relationally. So sometimes you're going through it with your spouse, your significant other. And, and isn't it interesting, God has such a great sense of humor when he puts us together. Isn't it interesting to know that sometimes the things that attract you initially will be eventually the things that repel you? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, remember when you were dating? I'll give a personal illustration because Cindy's in heaven, so I have a little more license to talk. <laughs> but I remember when we were dating, remember you had your favorite restaurant you would go to? And when you went to that restaurant, you thought it was cute because she couldn't make up her mind. Wasn't that adorable? You said, oh, honey, that's so sweet. It's Mexican food. You know, you got what? There's not a lot of choices, but it's so cute that you can't make up your mind. And then after you've been married a few years, you go to your favorite restaurant, you know, your restaurant, and you get there and, and, and they're struggling and you're going, for the love of God. You've got the menu memorized. How many times have we been here? You can't figure out what you want. Isn't that funny? The thing that kind of you thought was cute at one point, kind of, uh, that's relationships, they're messy. You kind of work through, our, our kids come along, right? And oh my, then you realize you've really outpunted your coverage when it comes to challenges in life. Uh, I, I heard about uh, James Dobson who said one time, when your kids hit adolescence, he said his advice to parents whose children are adolescents, here, here it is, you ready for this profound advice? Just get through it. Just get through it, just, just get through it. Find a way to get through it. And, and, and you, I remember this one lady, their kids hit that zone where they were just pushing her buttons all the time. And uh, they asked a friend, asked her, they said, hey, if you had kids, did you have to do it all over again, would you still have kids? And she said, yeah, I just wouldn't have the same ones. <laughs> Have you hit that point? So I'm just saying, some people are going through some parental, parental challenges, you know, some of trouble on work, they're stressed. My point is, guys, everybody's going through something. And in the middle of the something that we're going through, God will, listen, if you will allow him, he will use the adversity, he will use the battle to prepare us for life ahead. Let's look at Benaiah just for a few moments before we go. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 23 concerning Benaiah, this incredible warrior, this wonderful, incredible, mighty man of David, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada. Let me stop long enough to say kind of parenthetical. Benaiah mentions, the, the father is mentioned with the son twice in this text. 
He's only mentioned two different times in, in Scripture. But both times, Benaiah is connected to his father. And I'll give you an opinion of that in a minute. Benaiah was a son of Jehoiada. Jehoiada, his father, was a valiant, a valiant man from Kabzeel. He did many deeds. So his dad was a high priest, very accomplished man, very spiritual man, and a very strong man. And so again, Benaiah is connected to his father. But then it goes back to describing Benaiah. Notice what he did. He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Now I looked into what that means, that description, lion-like. You know what it means? A lot like a lion. <laughs> Isn't that profound? <laughs> Sometimes it just is what it is. It just meant they were fierce. They were fierce in battle. But he defeats these two lion-like heroes of Moab. Then he went down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. That's pretty descriptive, right? And I'll give you my opinion of that in a second. And then the third thing it talks about is he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So notice what he did. He goes down with a stick, fighting a man with a spear. <laughs> he took a knife to a gunfight. And he wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and kills him with his own spear. What a humiliating way to go. Man, this guy comes to take you on and he takes your weapon from you and kills you with your own weapon. That's Benaiah. And the Bible said these things, again, Benaiah connected to his father, the son of Jehoiada did, and he won a name among the three mighty men. Now David had three mighty valiant warriors who were closest to him. And Benaiah was known among those three. He was more honored than the 30. Now the 30 was more or less David's secret service detail. They were the closest to the king, the most fierce warriors. They had to protect the king. And the point he's making here is everyone knew this guy. He knew this guy because of what he had achieved, and he knew this guy about what he, because of what he accomplished. The adversity of his life put him on the radar. People began to learn about him because of the battles that he had won and because of the adversity that he had overcome. He was more honored than the 30. He didn't attain to the first three. He never got into that closest circle with King David, but David set him or pointed him over his guard. Many scholars believe that Benaiah had about 24,000 soldiers under his command, and they were the closest to the king, the most powerful man in the then known world. Man, when I look at that and I admire this little known man, this soldier that's talked about in the scripture, I, I tried to understand what were the qualities of his life. What were the things that God used in this man's life that allowed him to advance to the point that the most powerful man in the world would know his name and would promote him in such an incredible way? And what's astounding about it is when you realize he's from Kabzeel. Kabzeel. Now, Kabzeel was just a country town. It's just a one-horse town. Probably didn't have a blinking light. <laughs> I mean, it was just a little old tiny. So here is a a man that was not born into prominence. He was not born into prestige. He was just a country boy. He was just a kid from the sticks, but he had prepared himself. He was a kid from the sticks who was, uh, was strong. He was a kid from the sticks who had integrity. And man, when you fast forward and you look through his life, God just sovereignly promoted him to a point that everyone knew his name. And I'm talking to you about him this morning. It's amazing when you think about how God promoted him and what's obvious from the text, the things, the steps of his promotion were the adversity that he encountered in life. 
The steps of his promotion were the battles that he fought in life. So understand, you may be facing something this morning. Again, personally, family, relationally, you know, financially, with your career. God can use those as steps in your life to promote you. Now, here's one of the first things that jumped out at me about Benaiah, and it's what I'm calling the strength, the strength that he embodied. The strength that he embodied. Look, one of the things that adversity will teach you about you is that you are stronger than you thought you were. <laughs> One of the things when you go through something that you'll stop and realize is I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. Probably one of those most powerful principles that Paul taught in Philippians when he said, I can do all things, then he said, through Christ who gives me strength. Remember I said, when you're faced with something and there's not a supernatural rescue, there's not a rescue from other people when you're going to have to get through this on your own. If you partner with God in that season, remember, he will equip you, he will enable you, and he will empower you to get through what you're going through. And so what was amazing about this young man is he embodied these qualities. Remember I told you a minute ago, everything you go through prepares you for what you're about to go through or everything you've gone through rather prepares you about what you're about to go through? Let me illustrate it. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, right? First Samuel 17. When David shows up, instead of a shooting war, it's a shouting war. Goliath is challenging, you send your warrior out to fight me, and if they can defeat me, we'll surrender. And so they were thinking, wow, this one-on-one -on -one might save the lives of hundreds of our soldiers, it's not a bad offer. Nobody took him on. Remember, they're all fearful till David shows up. And David says, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a purpose? What's wrong with you guys? I'll fight this guy. And of course, they kind of, you know, laughed at him. And he said, man, well, you're not a soldier. You're not prepared for this type of thing. He will eat you alive. And then here's the point of what I'm driving at. What David said to Saul and to his brothers who were ridiculing him because he was willing to face Goliath, he said this, God already used me to kill a lion and a bear. So because he used me to kill a lion and a bear, I'm ready to face Goliath. What's the point? What he had gone through had prepared him for what he's about to go through. He had been successful in private. In private, he beat a lion, he killed a lion, he killed a bear that threatened the flock. He said, man, I've already done that. I'm pretty good with a slingshot. I mean, I'm pretty good. I've taken two pretty good sized animals out with this before. And this guy's not gonna be a challenge to me. And the principle of David is that God will use those private moments in your life and mine, those moments when no one is around, when no one sees how we're navigating and no one sees how we're handling the adversity. God will use the private moments in, the, in our lives to strengthen us and prepare us for when we step on the stage in a public moment of adversity. Those things we've been through will prepare us for what we're about to go through. So I think that's part of it. This country boy had some victories. He had some wins under his belt. And, and, and another thing that's interesting, remember I told you, I, I give you my theory on this. His father is connected to him. It doesn't mention Benaiah without mentioning his dad. And so you have the influence of that father in that young man's life. Benaiah's dad, Jehoiada, he was a high priest. So he was a spiritual man. So don't miss this. I think what the text is implying is that he grew up with some spiritual underpinning in his life. 
The young man grew up hearing his father talk about this God who is able to do anything and this God who is accessible and available in your life. So that imprinted on him. That, that obviously made a difference in him because Benaiah became a spiritual man because of the, the, the influence of his father. Now, not everybody had that type of upbringing. Not everybody had a, a great spiritual influence in your home. And if you didn't grow up with that, that's, that's okay. You can't really think about it. You can't really do anything about your descendants or your ancestors, but you can do everything about your descendants. But Cindy and I used to talk about the fact that, you know, what you have to do is to challenge people just to say, hey, this crazy ends here. We're not going to do crazy anymore. We did crazy. We've been around crazy. We ain't doing crazy no more. Now, now, when you draw a line in the sand, moms and dads, and you determine you're not passing crazy on to your kids, they're going to do their own crazy. Crazy's going to be around, but it'll be a different crazy. It won't be the crazy you had that you're passing on to them. Let them have their own crazy. But what you have to do, if you didn't have that in your background, if that's not the if you didn't have a Jehoiada as that spiritual influence, just say, I didn't have it for me, but I'm gonna provide that for my kids. That's why I compliment all of you here today and all of you are watching. You, you get it, you're, you're obviously, we're on the same page here. You, you wouldn't be here if you didn't value your spiritual life and that you didn't want your kids to have some spiritual instruction. Because kids have to reach that point in life where they own their faith. We, we can't own it for them. I've told you, God has children, he doesn't have grandchildren. Meaning that I cannot make a decision concerning salvation for my kids, they have to make it for themselves. You see what I mean? There's that direct connection. And so what we do as parents is we just try to get our kids, we try to expose them, we try to uh, teach them, we try to be creative, we don't cram it down their throat or force them, but we wanna keep it around them so that they can own it in that appropriate time. And you see the strength of Benaiah being exhibited in his life as he's faced these incredible challenges and a lot of it was due to the influence of his father. His father was a spiritual man and his father was a strong man. The Bible describes his dad as a valiant man, a man who had done many great deeds. And then it gets into the second thing I wanted to mention to you. It talks about the struggles that he faced. And I think it's important that I say this to your heart because you can be strong and you can be spiritual, but you're still going to struggle. Somewhere in theology, we've been taught, I don't know where that happened, but we were, we were taught that if you just press into God, you just, you know, you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. Sometimes when you press into God, you're sick, broke, and stupid. <laughs> it, it's not a guarantee. Sometimes you just go through stuff. It just, it just happens. In fact, listen, I, this will blow your hat in the creek. I, I honestly think the closer you get to God, the more adversity you're gonna have in your life. I'm not scaring you away. I'm just warning you. Let me give you a principle. Galatians 6, I think it's about verse 7, where Paul makes this comment. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word marks, that word marks, in the Greek is stigmata, stigmata. Uh, now you'd have to understand the context. When the kings went to war in that day, they would obviously go to the forefront of the battle along with their soldiers. The kings didn't stay home, they went to battle with their, with their soldiers. So the enemy knew if I can take out the king, if I can take out the leadership of this group, I'll discourage the hearts of the soldiers and maybe turn the tide of the battle. So here's what you know. 
The strategy of the enemy is every arrow is trained toward the king. Shoot at the king. Aim at the king. Now, since everyone knew that, the people who were closest to the king were the ones more likely to be wounded. So if you didn't love the king and you weren't sold on the battle, I wouldn't hang too close to him. <laughs> I'd get him back toward the back. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know why he got us into this mess. I'm gonna hang back here with the rest of the people. You know, but man, if you're sold on the king and you're sold on the battle, you press in to protect him and to press the battle. Well, here's the point. In being close to the king, you would be wounded. And when they came back to the city, rejoicing in the victories that they had won, the wounded, get this, the wounded were celebrated. The wounded were celebrated because they marched closest to the king. It's kind of what we have on Memorial Day. We celebrate those who paid the ultimate price so that we could have freedom. We celebrate their memories. Well, that happened in scripture. And Paul said in a spiritual context, I bear, I gladly bear in my body the stigmata of the Lord Jesus. Meaning I went into battle standing closest to the king. I went into battle believing in the cause. I went into battle and I put myself in danger so the king could live. So I'm just suggesting that Benaiah was a powerful, a strong man, a man that had been in the battle, that had fought the fight. And the Bible talks about the struggles. It talks about three fights that he fought. It says he won over an Egyptian and he won over two men from Moab and he won over a lion. And when you study the Bible, there's symbolism in the Bible. When you see that he had victory over an Egyptian and he had victory over a Moabite and he had victory over a lion, the spiritual symbolism is there because the Bible depicts Egypt as being a picture, a symbol of the world. Egypt back in the Old Testament day was the world power, a dominant power. And so when you study the Old Testament and it talks about Egypt, Egypt is always a symbol of the world. The Bible will say they went down to Egypt. That not only speaks of its geography, it also speaks of its morality. Egypt is always a symbol of the world. So when he fought a, an Egyptian, it is symbolic for you and me today as being one who has overcome the downward pool of the world. Now, what is the world? The Bible says in 2 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. What is the world? I've given this to you before. World can be one of three things in scripture. World can be the created world, the trees and the rocks and all. The world can be the world of people for God so loved the world. But the world can also be a system, a system, a cosmos, a system, an orderly design. Now, when we talk about worldliness in our day and age, we don't really use that word. We use this word secularism. Now, you understand that. Secularism is a system that really doesn't include God in its thinking. And we're in that world. We're in a world that's not inherently spiritual. So that's a battle you and I face. And then the symbolic battle for Benaiah is he overcame that. He beat the Egyptian, meaning that you and I are going to battle with a system that doesn't include God. What does that mean? That means you gotta be careful that you don't surrender to a system where you allow your mind and heart to go in the direction of not bringing God into your life every day. Sadly, some people just do a touch and, God with, a touch and go with God on the weekend. Instead of partnering with him every day, bring him into your business, bring him into the classroom, 
Bring him into your finances. Bring him in. Let him be a part of everything you're doing in life. Partner with him. D.L. Moody said, if God is your partner, make your plans big. So he defeated an Egyptian. Second thing, the Bible says he defeated a Moabite. Now, the symbolism of Moab is Moab in the Old Testament is a picture of flesh, of our flesh. The Moabitish people lived alongside of the Israelis. They lived alongside of the Jewish people, but they didn't respect them or their God. So it talks about something that lives alongside of us that has no respect for our values or our God. It's our flesh. It's a great symbol of flesh, our old nature. I have a nature within me, you do as well. It's, it's inherent in my default settings. It is my old nature that is constantly trying to pull me away from God. And then when I invited Christ into my life, I have a new nature that's warring against the old nature and the nature you nurture is a nature that'll dominate. It's a battle, remember? It's a fight. You gotta be like Benaiah, you gotta engage because you're living in a system that doesn't include God and you're battling Something within your own heart that pulls against God. So Benaiah, are you tracking? He won against Egypt, he won against Moab, and he won against a lion. Well, what is a lion symbolic of? Well, you know what the Bible teaches in 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, here it is, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians 2, verses two and three says that the only three things you and I will ever face are battles with our flesh, their battles with this world, and their battles with the devil. And this man fought them all. In fact, he embraced the battle. When you look at the lion, and you see how descriptive it was, a lion in a pit on a snowy day, a pit would have been a cistern. Many scholars believe it was a cistern where they got well. So the lion probably fell into the cistern and when you can't get to the well, you can't get to water. And if you can't get to the water, the village is gonna die. And so they had a problem. How are we gonna deal with this lion? He's in a pit, we can't get to him. And Benaiah said, I'll take him on. And when you think about it, he took on the worst possible foe, a lion. He's the king of beasts. <laughs> he took on a, the worst, he took him on in the worst possible place, a pit. No place to run, no place to hide. He took him on on the, on, on the worst possible circumstance, on a snowy day. He can't get his footing, his hands are cold, he can't hold a weapon, and yet the Bible says he slew the lion. What's the point? The point is, guys, there's nothing you and I are gonna face in life but what God can give us the ability to overcome it. The system, our own flesh, the devil. God will give us the ability to face the worst possible foe in the worst possible place under the worst possible circumstances. And then the third thing I gave you was the success he enjoyed. Let me close my, I've gone a little long, but let me give you this. I think the secret to his victory is in two significant things that's in the text. In the Bible, names meant something. You name children after a significant thing. Sometimes names were prophetic. You, you would name a child over something you prayed they would achieve in life, right? Uh, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. The name Jehoiada was significant. The name Jehoiada means God knows. God knows. The name Benaiah means God builds. God knows, God builds. So you look at this young man's life and all that he encountered 
the supernatural rescue that didn't come, but the other people that didn't arrive to help him, that God empowered him to help himself. And throughout all of his life, God knew what he was going to go through. He knew who he was. He knew the challenges that were ahead of him. And through it all, God was building. Can I say this, guys? God, he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And God will use those experiences to build your life as well. What you're going through today will prepare you for what you'll go through tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we're reminded that Isaiah said it never comes back empty. Every time that word gets out there, it always accomplishes something. So Father, I pray for those in the room and those watching online that they would have picked up on something, maybe in the worship or in your word, maybe they just picked up some one thing that might help them bring some clarity. Maybe they just had a little epiphany this morning of, okay, that helps me. Now I can put that into practice as I go throughout this week. I pray we'll, we will have received something, as Isaiah said, so that we don't walk away empty. And finally, Lord, I pray for my friends here today and those watching who may never have trusted you as their Savior. I pray this might be the moment right where they are where they humble their heart and they just pray, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Be a reality in my life. And I'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.